On this week's episode of the Superhero Show Show, we'll find out who watches The Watcher. It's us on the show What If, if James Gunn's Suicide Squad is better than David Ayer's, and what Jay from the Story Geeks has revealed to Mike about storytelling. All of that and more on an all-new Superhero Show Show! And welcome to the Superhero Show Show, the only podcast that covers every single live-action TV show based on the comic book sci or comic book property. I am your host, Mike Gravanian, and with me, as always, is Ryan. Kazzy's not here. Did you just verbalize your sigh? I think it's well known that I don't like the phrase comic book property. Yeah, I don't let's know just why. cut it. It gets under my skin. It's because it's unnecessarily stupid. Should I take it from the top? Let's change the fucking name of the show to unnecessarily stupid. Hello, nerds, and welcome to Unnecessarily Stupid, the only podcast that's replacing the superhero show show while covering every live-action TV show based on the comic book, period. I'm your host for this week, Mike. With me is Ryan. Ryan? Uh, pretty good. Let's take it one more time. One thing I noticed is that um, there wasn't Rockapella from Carmen Sandiego doing their version of Mbop behind you. So, Rockapella, the minute I say hello, nerds, you get kicked into gear, okay? Mm-hmm. Hello, nerds, and welcome to Unnecessarily Stupid, the only podcast that replaces the Hooper Superhero Show show this week because Cassie's out at a bachelorette party. Also, we're covering every single live-action TV show based on the comic book, period. I'm your host, Mike, and with me is my best pal, Ryan. Okay, that was pretty good. I We're running out of time, but I would take it one more time where you say all that stuff as Rockapella, and I say sing the lyrics that Mbop as you. Okay. Nope, wait. (laughs) Wow, that was full on uh, getting ready to start a marathon and then eating shit immediately. (laughs) Oh, you mean how I marathon? True story. uh, I was going to run out of How I marathon your mother? Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) That's gross. Uh, Hopped in a porta potty as you do. You're like, I want to defecate before I go. And they did the national anthem while I was in there. And then. Everybody was long gone, and I ran out of the port of body running so with, far behind everybody, starting late. With your pants around your ankles? Pants around my ankles, just waving toilet paper like the streamers <laughs> behind me. <laughs> out of the butthole. Screaming the national anthem. <laughs> and for the next six hours, screaming the national anthem. That's what motivates me to go. That means you're a true patriot. Mm-hmm. It cannot be denied. Ryan, are you nervous that Cassie is gone, and as they say, uh, when the cast is away... The mice do play. Uh, yeah, I mean, based on how the show's gone so far, I would say I'm. I wasn't nervous before we started, but um, already a couple of Mbop performances. So yeah, look, I'm a little nervous. The, we changed the name to unnecessarily stupid. Are we gonna not be unnecessarily stupid? The unnecessarily twenties. We are unnecessarily twenties. The just dumbest decade you could live. You know what? I think that what people don't know when they listen to the show, the normal show with the three of us. Uh, is that you actually, if you need to be, are you can get serious. And I ask you why so serious? Because I am chaos. 
I am the clown prince of crime. I am the Joker. You are the Joker. I'm the Joker. Hello. <laughs> why Why don't we get that version of him anymore? <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> uh, no, I think we've decided as an entity that the Joker's dead. We don't want no more Joker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as an entity, as in the superhero show show, for sure. Yes, that's uh, what I meant. As an entity as the country? I don't think so. I no, think that there's those a lot of still want to live in a society. Uh this country is put together with incellation. Incellation. Mm-hmm. If you, it's an incel nation mm-hmm. with incellation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they love that Joker. They also are the only people who listen to podcasts. So I love you guys, and we're gonna talk about the Joker all the time from here on out. What we are actually going to talk about before we talk about the Joker is we are covering Suicide Squad Jokerless. We are covering what if Jokerless and we are covering every other I said that in the intro, every other TV show based on the comic book that came out this week. Covered. And I am talking to Jay from the Story Geeks podcast and uh I don't think I'm that biased, but it's the some are calling it the best interview ever been done on Superhero Show Show. Okay. But before that, let's talk about the Suicide Squad. Clapping in three, two, one. During a brief firing from the MCU due to offensive texts from a long time ago, James Gunn decided to spend his free time writing and directing a movie for the Distinguished Competition. He tasked himself with redoing slash making a sequel to the much maligned Suicide Squad called The Suicide Squad. This movie would pick and choose what it used from the first one, keeping the good characters, ditching the bad, and killing off a bunch of them right in the beginning. If you have not seen Suicide Squad yet, spoilers are coming. Just skip. Use your skip 10 minutes button on Apple Podcast. But also skip 15 seconds back because I just spoiled something. So rewind. Yeah. Rewind, rewind and then skip. Erase your memory. We all know the story. Amanda Waller throws a bunch of criminals out in the field. If they do her bidding, they get time off their sentence. If they stray, she blows up the bomb in their head. This movie focuses on a group that includes Bloodsport, Ratcatcher 2, Polka Dot Man, King Shark, Peacemaker, and the one and only Harley Quinn. Mike, you have seen the first movie. I have. Directed by David Ayer. And I want to point out that David Ayer made that movie. And maybe we can just help him to never make a movie again. As opposed to me, who has not seen it. Does this movie work better than the first one? Why or why not? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't even... like. I'm not saying David Ayer made a great movie and we just haven't got to see it. I'm not trying to release the air cut, but I can't. There was so much dog crap in that movie that was out of his hands. When a studio hires a trailer company to re-edit your film, I don't know if it's your fault anymore that nothing makes sense. You know, when Martin Scorsese was trying to figure out how to finally make a great movie after 10 years of not really, this is about 1989, he was like, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll make a two-hour long trailer. That movie, Goodfellas. But he made it. So if David Ayer went out to make a two-hour-long trailer... Are you saying David Ayer is not Martin Scorsese? You know what? I've never seen them in the same room. Uh, what Gunn brought that Ayer did not is an understanding of this specific comic book movie. Uh, the Suicide Squad is inherently ridiculous. And you can't be like, look how grim and dark and shouldn't we take them seriously. It is goofy and he revels in it. He He's brought his trauma past to this movie more than I've seen him bring anything in 15 years. His- his trauma trauma? His trauma trauma. Uh, since Slither, which I think is his directorial, directorial debut, I haven't seen him revel in what he used to do all the time. 
I I'd push back a little bit. I do think that a, a serious Suicide Squad movie is possible. For people who want to hear what's really possible for directors, make sure that you subscribe to Patreon as me and Mike just uh, pitched a bunch of directors for a bunch of new DC projects, yeah. all of which are coming to a theater near you. Patreon.com slash your pop filter. I don't... I think that David Ayer... Or I think it's possible to make a dark Suicide Squad movie. You know, like, it's possible to think that it was impossible to make Dark Knight or Christopher Nolan's trilogy before that came out. Um, I just think that David Ayer... Again, we don't know how much to blame him. Um, It got so far out of his hands. Right. And whether those hands are untalented or not, and it just became, as you said, filled with dog crap. What was in his hands was hacky as shit. Like... El Diablo's backstory I've seen in non-superpowered movies, and I wasn't like, oh, this is in a new way. It's just like, oh, you're taking the, the killer with the heart of gold? Cool. Okay, so <laughs> here's what you were doing. What you were saying is that David Ayer doesn't have a voice. Yes. He is like uh, amalgamated from 13 other more popular, more successful voices, and James Gunn is like, oh, I'll just make a James Gunn movie. And David Ayer, uh, to let you know, his suicide squad is seriously than anybody could die. Every character got like a five to ten minute intro except for Slipknot, and then Slipknot died in the first five minutes they're on their mission. Uh, all nine of them. And, and I, Actually, the drummer from Slipknot just died, so let's that be was careful. like a year ago. We miss you, Joey. It was like two weeks ago. Was it really? Yeah. A year ago in my What's... mind. Uh, and, yeah, uh, James Gunn actually surprised us because the people who are in most of the trailers died so quickly. Well, let me ask you this, then. Um, when a director is so... In his own sensibilities, okay? Mm-hmm. And his sensibilities are this far from mainstream. Um, do you think it's possible for somebody who is not into James Gunn to like this movie? I think so, because as he's... James... Or that, sorry, let me rephrase the question. What does this movie have to offer if you're not a James Gunn person? Okay. I just we're, we're not here to like recommend movies to people. Right. So. Deep, I, I'd say... Uh, Deep humanization, humanization, humanization. Another dimension uh, of any character. I do think he can inject humanity into anybody, whether it's a deadly assassin who put Superman in the ICU, a girl who plays with rats, or a uh, less than intelligent shark god. Yeah, and I mean, and it's not. It's not like I would say he's very good at being very efficient. Right. So. Nobody, James Gunn's not going to win any screenwriting awards, and I don't think his actors are going to win any awards either. But he gets things across in such a little amount of time that even if you roll your eyes at the cheese, you're like, yeah, but I, I still found out a lot in a very short amount of time. Is And he, I think he is king of, uh, I'm going to use these title credits to at least let you know the tone of the movie, if not the plot of the movie. And he did it with Guardians 2 of... Little group. If for some reason you had never seen any other Marvel movie or Guardians one, you're like, oh, this is hilarious because horrible violence is happening. But I'm just watching a d- baby plant dancing to Mister Blue Sky. In, one of my bottom five Marvel movies, probably. Oh, it's bad. That that has, has some of the has one of my top five intros scenes or segments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, the two things that I think make James Gunn make James Gunn and efficiency is uh, the third pillar of that. I think, but is isn't violence hilarious and can't I still be sappy sweet? And depending on where his pendulum is, it works. The movie works. And he, the, isn't it fun to poke authority in the eye is so not in guardians Two, And isn't everybody sweet. And that's why I don't like that movie that much. 
I see. Okay. And one of the problems that I've been having recently, though, is you're not doing both. You're only doing one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's really obvious to me that, like, we're in this type of scene or this type of scene. Uh-huh. That that part I don't find in Suicide Squad, believe it or not, I, or in the first Guardians of... We just we can't just talk about a DC movie. Right. We have to talk about Marvel as much as we talk about DC. Um, I I think that he does a really good job of, and it, you know what it is the thing that bridges the two between the the gore and the the uh, the sappy sentimentality mm-hmm. is jokes. Yes, that's the thing that like will smooth the thing. If you're not funny, if you don't know how to get your audience to laugh, then it's gonna feel like a it's whiplash between your two tones. Right. The the only time. Now that like I'm a couple weeks out, the only time that I really remember being like rolling my eyes, and I think the it's the efficiency is there, and it showed a little too much, and the James Gunn needs a hug showed a little too much is the bus scene, and it just happened yeah. a little too early, and there was not enough inciting incident for Bloodsport and Ratcatcher two, and Polka Dot Man to all start being like, well, here's my thing and why I'm a tragic character, and that bummed me out because him like. You remind me of your daughter. The moment could have been good if it happened just a little later of like, I'm going to get you out of here live. And her saying, no, I'm going to get you out of here live. And the bookend to that really worked for me is Bloodsport, we find out, is afraid of rats. And then her calling all the rats to kill Starro and hugging him while this badass just led everybody. And she's the one in charge. Like that little moment towards the end of the movie, I was like, this is what you thought the bus was doing. And the bus did not do this at all. For sure. I And I mean, like, Adding to all of that, I think the character of Bloodsport's daughter is just plot service yeah. so that Ratcatcher and Bloodsport can have a connection. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think that Ratcatcher, typical script, typical story, Ratcatcher is the thing that brings Bloodsport and his daughter together. But no, the daughter's just in there so that two teammates can have a connection. Right. And that's that kind of stuff is clunky and there's a lot of clunk yes you know uh there's a lot of clunk here and it's it's typical of james gunn i just i think that if you're into james gunn's shit at all (laughs) then you'll at least not notice for these two hours right i'm not the movie is not perfect it's not going to after you if if you think about it for too long then all these things are going to pop up but i had a really good time and Honestly, thought that it dragged down way less than I thought it would. Yeah. All superhero movies have about twenty minutes of extra. Yes, uh, and this definitely did. But how pissed are you about the extra? Is the question right? His clunk to spunk ratio, I think, is very good here. There was a lot of spunk in this film. And talking, talk, so the intros is uh, we get this team. It throws us in the, the team one and uh, everybody you've seen in the trailers, and then they start dying starting with pete davidson never gonna be mad about watching him get his face blown off and then oh and it gets blown the fuck up and this is this is not a bullet hole in the head this is not pg-13 i'm doing everything i want and uh one of the best songs that should be in everything and the only other movie i know has used it is another james gunn penned movie but it's people who die by the jim carroll band and Uh uh over the credits on this and i'm pretty sure is uh over the credits in the Zack snyder directed Dawn of the Dead reboot. Really? Yeah. And Catholic Boy, I know we don't do recommendations, but check out that album that this is from. It's fucking awesome. And that lets you know, you're like, okay, even if I never knew anything about the Suicide Squad, I know now that they are bad guys who die. Anybody could die. This, and they're going to take it. It's going to be funny when most of them die. What did you think of the look of the movie? Like, um, Bright, splashy. Not just... It felt, that, it felt j- like a middle finger to DC. Yeah, uh, there is that part. But James Gunn has this revel in B-movie feel. Yes. 
But this movie had a tremendous budget mm-hmm. um, that it's not going to make up theatrically, but who knows how HBO Max works. Um, how did the movie look compared to other big budget movies? I So often you get the Harry Potter noodle, even though we're 20 years away from Sorcerer's Stone. And I mean, if you cut the budget of any part, you're, it's going to look like the Harry Potter noodle. And you know, like what it is, is the gravity, it's possible at any point. The weight of the CGI, right, is what we talk about. But I think he filmed in real places, and that's step one is don't green screen your backgrounds because those look like dog shit. Uh, and Starro, man, Starro was pebbled and gooey. Yeah. And, and had arm vagina armpits vagina full armpits. of fucking yeah. spaghetti. It, it, it was crazy. Looked and felt weighty and real, and I loved that. Instead of being like, "Ah, eh, it's a big starfish. Who cares?" Right. I was so impressed by. Uh, yeah, I think I think that what we got is somebody who probably wanted to put somebody in a co- in a giant starro costume <laughs> and have them march around on models. You know, yeah. like that's sort of where his sensibilities are. Other than that, yeah, like you could feel starro in the city Mm -hmm. you know and it wasn't he wasn't so big where we kept getting the um the ratios of building to starro off you know he was just big enough where he was scary and impactful um you know when you when he stepped on people you felt that thud and it looked i thought the movie looked great i thought it looked better than all the marvel shows and even some of the recent marvel movies oh for sure because of that that weight uh and I wonder if, because I'm guessing James Gunn directed all of this, it wasn't like, you direct whatever you want and then let us know when there's an action set piece and we'll bring in our people. I'm starting to think they're, they're talented, but the our people in the Marvel, and we should know their names at this point because they've helped direct every Marvel movie, uh, you got to start blending. Put, put, put your Chloe Zhao's through, and I haven't seen Eternals, nobody has, but put them through a, here's how you direct action boot camp so it will all feel cohesive. The other thing too is that, um, and maybe you wouldn't expect this if you, you if you've never seen a James Gunn movie. Based on what we're saying, you wouldn't expect this, but he doesn't have a choppy, as we used to call it, MTV style right. editing. Mm-mm. I think when you watch the ending, the third act of a lot of movies like Black Widow or Wonder Woman or movies that have that or Black Panther that have that, uh, you know, sort of notoriety for just being like CGI endings. Right. Part of it, the reason, part of the reason that it doesn't hit is because. In order to save money, you cut constantly. Right. And so we never get uh, spatial recognition, and we never get to feel the weight of the whatever CGI we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And to slow it down here, and to have characters be like, what the fuck is that? And then have them react more yeah. with the object, as opposed to just falling from the sky, you know, and like punching a building as it falls. Um, that helps, <laughs> I, I think, so much. Building. And it's, it's, I think it's probably twice as expensive what he did. Yes. I bet the ending of... Suicide Squad was twice as much money as the ending of Black Widow. Oh, I'd buy that. But yeah, it it sticks and character moments. Having a polka dot man, and I think polka dot man as a character is the perfect James Gunn blend. What we're talking about, the pendulum swings, the perfect, what did I say? Spunk to crunk? Clunk. clunk spunk to clunk ratio. You come up with these perfect catchphrases, Mike, <laughs> and, and you don't even remember them. them. Uh, he was broken by his mother who made him in a lab. His power is a disease that could kill him if he doesn't use it. And he sees literally everybody in the world as his mom. It is both horrifying and hilarious every time. It's true. It's It's got the 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 spunk is the horror, I think, if I'm following this correctly. Yes. Um, the clunk is, okay, you have mommy issues. We've seen that a million times. This movie does not have time to develop the mommy issues. Right. Like, so every time we bring, bring it up, it's not going to feel fully fleshed out. But the, the gun of it all is... 
wait until this joke builds up until yes. you see a giant mom <laughs> crush a city. And okay, you got me, gun. And then Polka Dot Man saying, I'm a superhero, and that's when he dies, when he finally realizes he's not a piece of shit. Do you think the NRA helped him get from Marvel to DC? Yes. I don't know why, but Mar- yes. Because Marvel was too into gun control? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Ryan, how, what do you think of the overall message that uh, one of the biggest critiques about Marvel is how the DOD is a consultant on all their movies, so it's even if they're quote-unquote critiquing the army, they're not? And I yeah. think the Suicide Squad is the most unabashed criticizing american foreign policy superhero film i've seen ever it's crazy though because that's really interesting and we have we can't answer that yet because we had characters represent these things ah. we had rick flag and peacemaker fight each other to in order to answer this question that you're asking mike yes and uh rick flag died Terrible performance, by the way. I don't know what that guy is. I don't know who that actor is, but I don't think he speaks that English is his first language. But I, I couldn't believe how awful he was. Really? Anyway. He is yes. infinitely better than he was in the first Suicide Squad movie. He's one of the four I'm characters nev- they brought back. I'm never going to watch that movie, Mike. I fuck <laughs> it. it sounds so terrible. So you, in, um, in the, the age-old Timothy Oliphant versus Joel Kellerman, you're, you're a full Oliphant man. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I've seen the praises of Oliphant. Whereas Peacemaker is not Marvel, but conservative mm. uh follow the orders no matter what patriot in name only or a different kind of patriot which i feel is unpatriotic uh uncritical. sort of so- soldier boy uncritical yes just and they didn't even t- go so far as to make peace baker that sad a little sad but not that sad about how he just had to follow these orders right. he was sort of just a robot at some point which i think all of them are on that other side rick flag did die turns out peacemaker did not and peacemaker is getting his own show yes. so it doesn't seem as unmilitaristic or anti-militaristic as you might think on first glance. But having, I think the real villain is Waller. It's just that story isn't done yet. I know, but Waller is the Waller is the type of villain that is going to be the the bad guy no matter what situation she finds herself in. Like she, Waller could be fighting the Nazis and she'll become do the something bad guy. fucked up enough. But the, the first Suicide Squad movie does not show her like that. I think a lot of people think she is just DC's Nick Fury. And she oh, really? Yeah. And she is, except that like Marvel comics do, the Marvel movies do not is like and that's fucked up often. And I think this movie she, captured that beautifully. Yeah. No, that like this is comic book Amanda Waller definitely. Uh, it, it showed it wasn't just like you're going off mission to be a bad guy again. I'm saying walk left and you took a step right, I will fucking kill you because that's how in control I need to be. That and this is a little bit corny. The movie overdid it with this, but when you say kids will die to Amanda Waller, she's like, so. Yeah. And when you say kids will die to the Suicide Squad, they're like, fuck. Now we have to go against everything we believe, right. In order to go save the kids, uh, it's just it was a point of difference to yeah. show the difference between Waller and the Suicide Squad. Uh, but Waller is nothing like Nick Fury. The like this is definitely closer to comic book Amanda Waller yeah. than what you're describing from the first movie. The only thing that we're missing is that she is. If she's a Marvel character, she is as big as the Kingpin. Yes. And, she, and Viola Davis is not they that. Call her but the I'd rather wall, have Viola right? Davis Isn't in the role. Her nickname? The what? The wall? In the comics, the wall? some of them call that it. That makes sense, yeah. All right. I think that is all the time we have for Suicide Squad. We are going to take the quickest breaks. And when we come back, what if we talked about what if? Marvel's first foray into animation, what if, kicks off with a nice easing in. 
What if Steve Rogers didn't get the Super Soldier Serum, but Peggy Carter did, becoming Captain Carter, while Steve was given the first Iron Man armor by Howard Stark, becoming Hydra Stomper? The episode hits familiar beats. The, they, they talk of dancing. There's the train scene. They talk about dancing again, while adding in Peggy's time-specific struggles of being taken seriously as a woman, and, for some reason, an attempt at making Bunny, Bucky funny. Tasty Ryan, I ask you this. How did this first step balance winking at the canonical story while creating its own tale? Okay, so for me, who's a big MCU fan, but isn't a, like... I don't go back and I, wa- I, I don't watch these movies a lot of times. You know, I've seen, uh-huh. rarely do I watch. I have officially seen Hulk and Thor too. So what? I have now seen you. all of them because I got sick that one time. But uh, <laughs> I, I really have only seen them once. Um, I, these, this hit a lot of beats that I sort of remembered from the first Avenger. Um, but it wasn't like, oh my God, look at that. You know, yeah. um, that didn't push me out. I feel like that if I had seen Captain America, the first Captain America more, I may have enjoyed this more, but I it's cert- oh okay keep going sorry it's, it certainly did not hurt my enjoyment. Do you is that not true? I think I've watched First Avenger twice during quarantine, which at this point is eight years. But uh, in the last year and a half, I've watched First Avenger twice, and it's it's like a thirty minute show, and they just tried to do it. They they tried to do the winks so much that I was like, I, I get it, guys, I get it. What so what I'm really hoping is that. See what we're doing in the first episode, and then the rest of the episodes can fucking relax a little. Yeah, and I mean, that that might happen soon because the next episode is two wildly different movies combined. Right. And so maybe when you have twice as much to wink at, then the winks will come off uh, half as annoying. I don't know. But did you think that it distracted... It sounded like it did distract you. Even if it didn't take time away from the story, it still made you roll your eyes at a certain point. Yeah, at a certain point, they were like... Can we just do a play the highlights of the movie in a half an hour, but with Peggy as Cap now? One of those and Marvel Legends clip shows, and we'll, yes. just, we'll just paste Haley Atwell's head on everything. And what bummed me out is because we long term fans of superhero show show know that we are long term fans of Haley Atwell. Yes, uh, we're huge Agent Carter's fan. Love that show, and I thought she crushed it. Uh, and but animation is sick. I, I really did enjoy the the action sequences. I thought were dope. Her jumping from plane to plane, like really, you won't see that in a Marvel movie. Not because of budget. It leaned into I am a cartoon, so I'm using these planes as a trampoline, and I loved that. Do you know what? I honestly think that there might be some meta utilization going on in that Peggy Carter became a better Captain America, according to lore, than Steve Rogers ever was. Mm-hmm. And it's because, but it's because animation, you're allowed to do more things. Right. And, but as far as the evidence that we have, despite one being live action and one being animated, the action scenes were absolutely breathtaking. Uh, just like thrill rides. Yeah. I have more to say about the animation acting. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Like not even the voice acting, but how the faces looked, I thought was a little. Stiff? Stiff, yeah. I That's better than what I was going to say, which is lazy. But no, they were just very... They were scaled down and detailed down in such a way where uh, it was almost like Flash animation um, uh-huh. when they were just standing around talking. Again, when shields were being thrown and Hydra was being yeah. kicked, it was absolutely amazing. But um, I didn't love the style. And I do think that there, What If does has, have a house style, right? There isn't. We're not going to change animation styles for every episode. No, yeah. Th- this is the look. And so, yeah, I also didn't. It sort of taught me that just because you're an actor does not mean you're a voice actor. 
Boom. You know what taught me that uh, was watching a Arrowverse CW Seed. I think it was their attempt a long yeah. time ago. And uh, Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin, who I enjoy to different extents uh, in live action. I was like, oh, you guys can't voice act. Yeah. And the one, the, the worst offender is Sebastian Stan. It's not his fault that he is giving fucking Steve Urkel level quips throughout this whole episode, but man, it sucked. He, so Haley Atwell, as you discussed, can do no wrong in our eyes, but Sebastian Stan was like, this is kind of an old reference, Mike, stay with me here, um, was like, he was recorded in the same way that Benicio Del Toro was put in the lineup in The Usual Suspects, and so he would just be like, all right, read Bucky's line, he's like, uh, fucking, Captain America was a fucking girl. Like, all right, uh, should we take that one more time? No, no, we're gonna move on. I guess you we're gonna it was move mumbled on. Mumbled off. It, it's just so wooden. It's just like this is yeah. a uh, doll, pull string doll that is talking here, Sebastian. I, I, I see that. I also thought it was that he, maybe he. I thought it was overemphasized. Like Bucky's making a joke every time. Like it, like he in his voice was trying to highlight how crazy it was. But one, Bucky in the first cap did make jokes. And two, uh, could act. It. I wanted him to die. I just he, I, after his first line, I was like, I hope we don't see Bucky fucking again. <laughs> and you can take that sentence in a couple of ways. <laughs> I I think that when you watch behind the scenes footage of, let's say, Robin Williams doing Aladdin, mm-hmm. um, they are moving more than right. if they were actually performing this in a live action film. Um, I think some people feel stupid doing that or don't even think right. to do that, and then they just stand there. You know, and read. (laughs) It's like if you have a phone job, if your job is to be on the phone, then they say smile, even though they can't see you. Uh, Sebastian Stan is. I always want to say Shaw. Isn't it weird that the guy who played Bucky is also the head of the Hellfire Club? Um, I wonder if we'll get into that when the mutants show up. uh, But yeah, he was he was just not here for this. Or it's a skill set that not everybody is born with. I think it's a skill set he does not have. Along the same lines, the jokes didn't work. The emotional, really all that worked for me was the action. The emotional moments, never. The Steve and Peggy stuff, it wasn't just that they're only talking about dancing. Uh, But that means fucking though, right? Probably. She's never fucked before. She totally has and she'll teach him love. We've all been there, Stevie. Um, At the end, they they, they try to do, do the flip of Steve crashing the plane and them doing the talk. The movie is so emotional uh the emotion was i don't know phoned in or didn't work or maybe it's hard to buy the emotion when she's shoving a space squid into a space butthole uh-huh. uh, <laughs> like i was just it just felt awkward and in a live action show i'd be like oh you can get better at this stuff and i don't know all this has been done forever so i don't know if they're gonna get better as the season goes on yeah i mean that's a good question i think that's we have to start readjusting what we think the goals are for this show. Right. Okay? And, you know, sort of like along the same lines of how we have to readjust that the goals for Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision and Loki are to have a good show, to have a good series, but also to serve a higher purpose, to serve a higher God. And that God is uh, continuity <laughs> and keeping the story going. With this... I think we're creating something that I didn't even think was possible yet, but I think it obviously is. And that is the whole, the whole MCU took off because of nostalgia. We wanted stuff that was around when we were kids that we missed when we were kids. 
This is nostalgia of... The, that's how old we are now, is that we're doing nostalgia on the thing that was built on this our nostalgia. MCU nostalgia? MCU nostalgia. Not, but, you know, 15 years, however long we're out. 2007? 8. 2008. So we're 13 years, and now it's nostalgia for 13 years ago, which has to be the shortest turnaround time for nostalgia right. of all time. Um, and does that work for you? I think that's going to be the biggest question. And for kids, or if you're 13... You've grown up on these movies, then this probably it could. It makes you feel like a twenty-five-year-old me, you know. Yeah, I don't know. This is weird, but I'm I am here for it just because I yeah. don't give a fuck anymore. I'm not going to sit here and analyze what I'm nostalgic and not nostalgic about, like the boomers want me to do. I'll do it for you. I, I think just j- based on the visuals, I'm I'm here for it and hearing the the voice acting. Uh, some people are upset that they couldn't get all the original MC voice actors, I think that's fucking stupid. I'd rather have a story with Steve Rogers than not because they can't get Chris Evans. Yeah. And I'm not mad that Chris Evans said, no, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, like, at a, people are paid what they're paid. And you have to say, yeah. uh, we don't have a million dollars for this. And for it's it's a day of recording. <laughs> totally fine for Chris Evans to demand that. And yeah, it shouldn't stop them from making the show, of course. Right. I just hate fans, man. These days, just more and more. Everybody's bugging me. Uh, a let, I want to dig into the, the a new character is Bradley Whitford's general, kind of replaces Tommy Lee Jones' general as the general who runs it. How did you feel he did as a uh, sexist bastard who, depending on how well Peggy did in his eyes that day, is if he's going to scream at her for being a dame or not? Bradley Whitford thinks that he can go around and star in... Uh, th- I'm going to do this like a, a mudslinging political ad. Bradley Whitford <laughs> thinks he can go around and star in sitcoms and be on the West Wing and be a good guy. We remember where you came from, Bradley Whitford. It was the bad guy in Billy Madison, and that's who you are here. <laughs> oh, Eric, that weasel laugh? <laughs> Eric grew up and became a general in the 40s. <laughs> and I could hear it in his voice. Like, there's two different Bradley Whitfords. Before yeah. Billy Madison, though, he was the bad guy in Adventures in Babysitting. So, Of course. Yeah. Where Vincent D'Onofrio played Thor. It's all connected. Uh, but you liked it or no? Too yeah. cartoonish? No, it was, it was fine. It was, again, we've got 30 minutes to tell a story. And yeah. I think that this show suffers from premise letdown. Like, once we, mm. the whole excitement is knowing the premise. What if blank, 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 right? Right. Once we know that, well, now we have to sit through a whole story? Like, who gives a shit? Right. You said Just the, give us like a five minute short. You said the cool part. Um, this was evidenced by my wife, who I watched this with, where halfway through this episode, the uh, the the camera, I guess, Iris is out, or Iris is into uh, Howard Stark looking at uh, Steve and Peggy on a date. Right. This is at the halfway point, but my wife just thought it was over, because one, Irising out is a way to right. make things seem like they're over, but two, like she didn't need the, the second and third act of the story. Yeah. You know, like she thinks that what if is just a presentation of the premise and that is it. And now imagine. And I think that's what they're going to struggle with. And I think more so future episodes than this one, because this one is going to be continued throughout the seasons. Whereas Mm -hmm. next week's is that's a one and done thing. So in a story, things need to change. It's not just the act one. Here's the switcheroo, but also what is going to propel us through the second act and how is the third act going to be different? You know, we have to see how the Marvel universe or at least this person's universe would be changed. And I don't know so far 
if they're going to be good at keeping that interesting. I will tell you that as much as we loved, you and I loved the what-if comics whenever we could read them growing up, mm-hmm. they didn't always stick the landing. Like, right. the best part was the first four pages when they were playing with the premise. And you're like, what? And then after if? that, it, it just sort of became like sort of yeah. another stale Marvel comic. I, I th- Well, I think the ones that did better, at that point you stopped doing the winking and you're like, I'm telling my own story now. Uh, 1602 didn't constantly... I know that, that was a little bigger than what if, yeah. but... What if they all existed in the 1600s after the first couple pages of like, this is what Spider-Man's like. Now I'm just telling my own Marvel story with these characters and telling a good story instead of trying to figure out all the parallels. There was a five-issue Chip Sadarsky written uh, What If that just ended this week, whereas What If Peter Parker Never Gave Up the Symbiote? And Mm. the first four issues were amazing because it was fucking batshit. And then the fifth issue was... But we're still Marvel Comics. And then right. it all, you know, like, it's just really hard to stick that landing. I think Alan Sepinball was writing about how the whole point of What If is for people who bitch to shut the fuck up. Because everybody who bitches, like, wants something different. And they're right. like, see what happens when you want something different? That's what I think works perfectly. If it's a little Twilight zone and it's a little bit, mm-hmm. like, very sad. We can't do sad endings in the real, quote-unquote, real MCU. So this right. is where we do sad endings. And show what happens if things if the sliding door went through the wrong door. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We're going to have to wait. We will wait. We will keep watching. And you, listener, will keep checking in because you love us. Ryan, before we move on to the pull list, you were on the break talking to me about a website idea you had. I was, Mike. And I don't quite understand it, so if you could just like re- re-pitch it. Okay, so it's called 5moreminutesplease.com. And it's, I'm like, hey, Mike, let's take a break. And you're like, well, your breaks are too long. And I'm like, well, let's put a timer up then. So I go to five, five more minutes, please.com. And it's a five minute timer. And you're like, okay, that's acceptable. Let's take a break. But on five more minutes, please.com, when it gets down to zero, it resets at five. And then when you go look at the clocks to see when the break is over, that, I mean, that doesn't solve my problem. So this is for your scamps, your Dennis's, the menaces. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, this is for the kids, not the parents. If you're among the many menaces named Dennis's, then yes, this is for you. Hey, there's at least two. Did you know that? Have we talked about this? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and That might be an OCD conversation, but OCD the podcast, not the mental disorder. Syndrome? Yeah. Uh, and you want this to look good, right? Because you want the kids to be able to use it? Um, I don't really care. It can look like shit. Why? Are you leading me towards something? I might be leading you towards something. I don't know. Uh, you know what? You know. I want it to look great. I want it to look so professional. I think you're an idea man. Not a good idea man, but you do generate a lot of ideas, and this is one of them. But I don't know if you're an execution and follow-through man. And to make five more minutes, please, dot com a reality, I think I'm creeping towards a competitor. <laughs> I don't want to say that. Make your five more minutes, please, a reality. You should go to uh, cybersprout.net. They, uh, they're going to handle all... You just pitch them. Because you, you want it to look good. You want people to... You don't want to do maintenance. You don't want people... You don't want to do security. Uh, right? You, you're like, I want to update the colors now. And you want that to be easy. And they do that for you. They have the... the if you want all the work or you want them to do the work or you want to combine the work, they'll set up whatever system you want. You know they got those drag and drop tools. You know they got those custom templates. Ryan Gold Driven Design, 
yeah, motherfucker, someday I'll learn what that means, but they got it. Goal-driven design. That means that uh, we set up goals and they hit them. It's a really good company. Uh, what you're really scared of, if you use five, five more minutes, please, is that I pull up five more minutes, please, and Mike, you look at it as the boss, as the quote-unquote boss, and you're like, this looks like a janky website. I bet right. this five minutes is not on the level. But, this is fake five minutes. But with Cybersprout, they're going to believe it's a real five minutes every time. Yeah. Cybersprout.net, your partner for digital world and creating lies for your bosses or parents. As they say, Cybersprout.com, always up to no good. When we come back, every other show that came out this week. It's time for the poll list, where we talk about literally every other comic book show that came out this week. Starting with Legends of Tomorrow. This week on Legends, John is using his dark magic for literally everything. Like he wants to be caught. Nate and Zari 1.0 are on a camping trip. Mick, Sarah, and Spooner and Astra get sent to an intergalactic bowling alley. And Gara and Ava try on wedding dresses. Tasty Ryan, I ask you this. Why does this show like Gary while we hate him? Uh, he's no uh, Mona. Mm-hmm. But they are really trying hard to make Gary work. Um, and I think sometimes they do. Sometimes it's okay. I think that a little bit goes a long way. And this was just a little bit. Was this still too much for you? Yeah. Gary, when he was a tertiary character, tertiary Gary, and would work for Ava and would come in like every three episodes, that was enough Gary for me. I mean, he may have gotten more of a spotlight than usual because tonight he was working with this episode's director. Oh, really? Oh, really? How do you think she did? I mean, fine. Four. What, did, uh, how many things did you just name? Three plot lines? Oh, yeah. There were, there were four plot lines going on, I think. That's a lot. So yeah. I would say that she did okay. Um, and then once again, we not that we're there yet. We're still talking about Jess and Gary. Or I'm sorry, Ava and Gary. But uh, somebody heard the term cosmic bowling and they were like, what if? Which is how most Legends <laughs> episodes work. But uh, yeah, I thought that Gary is okay. Gary's just too... They don't give Gary enough punchlines because I think that they think Gary is a, oh, he'll do it on the set. You know, and maybe his frantic cartoonish faces are not enough for us anymore. No, he should be on The Flash because that's the children's show. (laughs) Where that's enough. We sound Uh, like a divorce couple. (laughs) That is the show that the children watch. Highlighting Nate and Zari 1.0, do you feel that they're... The world is ending and we're camping next to douchey glampers highlighted their relationship problems the way the show seemed to think it did. No, Mike, I got a lot of things to say to you. <laughs> say them all, baby. I I love Zari 1.0. I don't know if that's been established on this podcast. Oh, do you? <laughs> and I love Nate. Uh, I am no longer concerned with the fate of uh, Nate and Zari's Zari. relationship. I don't care, and I think that the actress, is it Tala Ash? Yeah. May have forgotten how to do Zari 1.0. Oh. So now she's just, like, tired? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And just, just, like, it feels like that she spent all night being Zari 2.0, and now this is the next morning. <laughs> she's like, just give me a fucking Avion, please. Um, oh. But I, like, I don't know if the chemistry's there. I don't know if... Like, Zari 1.0 for a long time was too cool for school, but then right. I would say it's the Groundhog Day episode, a yes. fucking hallmark in not just Legends, but also superhero show show uh, lore um, mm-hmm. that really brought her to the forefront. And she became a character after that. And I feel like it's right. sort of gone. I haven't watched those episodes recently, so I can't speak yeah. for sure, but that's what it feels like. 
I agree with you there. And then also trying to, you can't make your douchiest character who only says rock and roll. Also, I guess it highlights that I'm a douchebag cause I say rock and roll. Uh, Jamie, the girl glamper says to Zari, if you can stand to be apart, doesn't that prove you don't need to be together? And again, we've only seen her be a fucking moron. So why should she be taken seriously by the viewers or by Zari at all? But it's not, it's not that you're mad. It's that you're mad that you're mad. Okay. I don't know if you ever get into that. Like, the thing that I'm mad about isn't that big of a deal. The fact that I'm so mad is a big deal. Um, the fact they didn't they didn't bring into question my relationship. The fact that I'm questioning it so much based on this fucking idiot saying right. something is the big deal. Um, and yeah, like the problem is that Zari is really just going to do this for Nate. Nate wants to continue the relationship. Zari's just going to go back into totem. So really, all she's doing yeah. is saying, Nate, you should probably go live your life. Yeah. Because she won't ever have new stories. Like, she's kind of in hell. Yeah. Also, quarantine. Except, in theory, ours will end. If only hell was just to be stuck in a room with Zari (laughs) 1.0. If that's hell, chain me to the lava. Ryan, do you have a moment of the week? Yeah, we're done. Um, Let's see. Uh, I did want to talk about Constantine, but we'll do that next week. Is he just becoming the big bad of the season? I hope they're brave enough to do that. My moment of the week is actually more of a lesson of the week. A mm. better stop of this week. Stupid characters can no longer see people in wedding dresses and say this is bad luck. When we all know right. it's just if the future spouse sees the person in the wedding dress. Yes. Stop doing this TV shows, please. Stop it. I know that sounds specific. Way too specific to be like a trope. But it is so it overdone. It is a point. trope. Everybody, what, for that second, you think you're fucking getting married to her? Like you ever could. Like you ever could. Uh, my moment of the week is realizing that the Mike the Strike has been in half the episodes of this season as a different character. And then you revealed that it's Ava's husband in real life. That guy has been in half of the episodes? He was the general who was shooting at the nuclear missile coming to the White House. I don't, and I, he was another role. Huh. That, you, is it COVID? We'll just keep using the same I guess, like, actors because it's safe? Well, I, I guess if Jess McKellen has to stay safe, then he does as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't just, but, uh, you can't just keep your actors say, like, okay, actors, be safe because you're going to get tested, but then it's totally fine for your spouses to run about whore town and <laughs> whore it up. You know he's running around whore town. Look at that hair. Uh... I don't have one. I don't have a real one. It was realizing that and realizing he's been an issue I had with all of the episodes he's guested in. I handsome, the luster's losing. I know it is, bud. I but this guy, handsome guy, uh, not Sarah Lance. She belongs to Sarah not, Lance, psh, obviously. All right, that is Legends of Tomorrow on the CW every Sunday night. Next up is Riverdale. On this week's episode of Riverdale, there's a prison break at Hiram's prison in Waffles. And it's up to Archie and his friends to round up all of the escaped convicts. Mike, I ask you this. Riverdale is the only show this week that neither of us watched. Do you think you'd see the day? Yes. I often bail and need to get yo-yoed back in by you guys screaming about how great it is. And all last season, when I finally was like, fuck it, I'm just watching. The whole time we're like, oh. 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 (laughs) So... One of us needs to watch because watching. How else will we know when it gets crazy? Watching Archie. But see, the person 
who watched the show and saw how Archie rounded up all of the criminals of a prison break, that right. person was bored. The other people who didn't watch, <laughs> they get to be entertained by hearing about it. Right. And I, that's wherein the problem lies. That's wherein the problem lies. Riverdale is on the CW Thursday nights. And it can go fuck itself. <laughs> and we probably won't watch it. Your next up is Superman and Lois. This week on Superman and Lois, Edge comes back as the Eradicator. And now he has the power to make people Kryptonians. Meanwhile, at kids' party, Lon and Kyle are trying to move, and Smallville is freaking out that DOD won't leave or tell them what's going on. Tasty Ryan, I ask you this. How's the show doing at humanizing Sam Lane? Uh, not great. He's no Kyle. And you I, think they're humanizing Kyle? No, no, I'm saying he's not as bad as Kyle. He's more oh. humanized. <laughs> that's oh. I was like, what? Yeah, let's, let's settle down. Um, although Kyle and his daughter had a fight where Kyle was just an amazing father that we should get into at some point. But um, I feel like that Sam Lane is better than he was, is less cartoonish than he was, which is weird because usually characters get more cartoony as the show goes on. Uh Um, He is prioritizing. We get to hear him prioritizing, and I I think it's fine. It's not as two-dimensional as it could be, but not. it's more two-dimensional than I would like. How about that? There was a certain point where he was mad at Lois for being mad at him. Yes. <laughs> Which, and classic. He was like, well, you can't have it both ways to do. But you can't be a prick for 35 years of your daughter's life and then be like, I said hi last week. We're cool now. Mm. Like the show, it made me feel like the show is like, see how there's two sides of their argument while being like, no, it's still just Lois is right. There's another part too where... Um he busts into a party to collect his grandkids. And then one of the kids says, well, can Sarah, the girlfriend, get a ride home? And he's like, fuck. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> okay. Yes, of course she can get a ride home. <laughs> she can, we can drop her off on the way because the house is on the way. So of course we can. It does. It really does nothing for me. And it just, it felt like this big hallmark grandfather moment. That just felt real. I am angry. I know I shouldn't be angry. Another good moment from that is uh, the kids who are now no longer 16-year-olds binge drinking, having fun. They are pounding beer, watching the world maybe end. Uh, And one of the kids is like, can you tell us what's going on? And instead of being like empathetic, being like, oh, this is a child who's scared, he just says, do I look like someone who gives classified information to drunk teenagers? No, he did a classic Superman and Lois. He turned around and said, okay, I'll fucking tell you kids all of the intel that I know. I really like that this town keeps being like, leave DOD. No fucking normal civilian talks about the Department of Defense and uses the acronym. They'd be like, get the army out of here. Maybe. Get the military out of here. It's. I wonder if they are not allowed to call out a specific branch of the military. And so they'd just be like, that DOD's back again. But it is true that if the CIA or some initial thing that we've never heard of, the country sends here, if they're in green cambos... We're calling them the army. That's just yeah, the army. The fucking army. I don't care that you say that the Marines or whatever. They're the army. Fuck you. <laughs> Get the boat army out of my town. Do you buy the uh, town's rage? I, I mean, I still think that we're going to get like an eradicator played some sort of um, like magic flute that mm. made them all pissed because I still think it's a little weird. As you have been saying for like a month now. Um, straight up four episodes in a row. <laughs> we all hate Kyle. This is too much. Uh, yeah, like, a little insane. 
and it might just be that's this is the shit like we're we're very up on superman and lois because it's a newest show the luster is not losing but it might still be a cw show so maybe they're just bad at things I, no there's got to be a reason because it although it is realistic i think that if anybody in this like listen to this does know a kyle they never say like hey man i'm not gonna hang out with you anymore because uh you're a piece of shit person you're a misogynist because i've seen you air guitar at barbecue yeah, you're just a terrible person they'll say like you were tardy twice man you were tardy twice, yeah. and we hate you. Man, the way the kids treat Sarah, uh, and that she has to point it out, and I do like that Jonathan and Jordan are now like good, dumb teenage boys. They're invited to a party, totally missed that the dudes did not look at Sarah at all, <laughs> specifically only invited the brothers. And then when she walks in, everybody just goes, Ugh. like it says she's all that. Lacey showed up at our party thing. Well, she comes in with tears. Yes. And so that's not a thing that high school partiers like. Is emotion. Which is crazy because every high school party I went to, somebody eventually was in tears. Somebody? Everybody has it their 10-minute spell. <laughs> we went different ways. You went the accurate one. <laughs> I should stop doing that. I've been told uh, through the emails, don't you don't need to be vulnerable in your little superhero show podcast. Not just stop vu- treating it like therapy. You don't need to interrupt people who are trying to get you out of being vulnerable so as to be vulnerable. <laughs> How do you like the new dynamic between Steele and Jonathan? Uh, now they just hate each other? Well, it's uh, he's telling everybody else he's learning all this cool stuff and is helping Steele. And then we get them and Steele is like, go away. I, Stop bothering I, me. I, it was a little abrupt. I thought it might be a little Harry and the Henderson scene. Yes. I think he's throwing the rocks. Yeah. He just starts, <laughs> again. He's like, all of these high school kids want to be adults until they get rocks thrown at them. And they're like, oh, stop. I'm in high school. Uh, but yeah, it was a little weird. Um, I thought that we would have a scene later on where Clark or Lois or somebody would be to John. Thank you for, you know, like getting Jordan out of your basement. Mm-hmm. Or is it Jonathan? I'm sorry. Jonathan. Jonathan out of your basement. But there was Jordan a- is emo superboy. He Jonathan is, I want to learn how to make weapons. Okay. So Jonathan is the kid with... The, the job Blondish. and then it's hair jordan because his hair is hair jordan always yes. in his eyes uh but there wasn't that scene he just he just decided nope. he, like and i guess sometimes people get moody right sometimes like you're friends with someone halfway through this podcast i'm gonna be like mike get the fuck away from me <laughs> and throw a digital rock right at my face i i like it i like i'm glad steel's gonna be on the show i want him to get a more steel like less halo like costume <laughs> and maybe he's master chef for there. sure Yes. Master Chef. <laughs> um, Ryan, what's your moment of the week? Okay. Oh, I'm out of fucking question. Uh, that's, no, you did such a good job there, and I don't miss Cassie at all. Uh, oh. I, there's a couple things. One, um, well, I've been learning from TikTok that there's this very white person thing that happens where uh, a teenager like Sarah will talk to their parents, and they will just have a spaz out on their parents. The way that she talked uh-huh. to them was <laughs> insane. And most people yes. that are not white will tell you that they would have gotten the shit kicked out of them. Uh, she well, ju- she Kyle, just keeps going. I think if it wasn't TV, he would have kicked the shit out of her too. That's true. Just swung a barbecue guitar right at her head. Um, I want to uh, also bring up the uh, hammer that the lady yes. takes. I we, we have. I think we have the same couple. <laughs> I John or Steel. Sorry, John Henry Irons misses the bad guy with his hammer. 
misses Mike, just straight up misses. It flies in the air, crushes the lady who was about to kill Lois, and then flies back, and then also kills the bad guy right in front of him. Yeah. And then he says, I never miss. But my real one is, again, I think for two weeks in a row, it's Lois crying. And mm. I have never seen a scene like this at the end of this, like in Arrow or Flash. I've never seen a scene yeah. like we got at the end where Superman flies down and says, Jordan, hair, hair Jordan. Hair Jordan. Jordan is missing. And Lois is like, get him. And Superman's like, I can't. And they yeah. just hold each other and cry. And maybe my situation has changed since I watched Arrow and uh, <laughs> No, the I think Flash. it's Arrow and The Flash don't do adult. They don't care about parents' feelings on Arrow and The Flash. It, but that's it, though. It's, like, it's not that they don't. They don't care. Like They literally didn't care. And that's fine. They had other stuff to care about. Right. But this show cares. And usually that's like, oh, but okay, so you care, but you're not going to do it right. This show is kind of crushing it on that. Yeah. It really fucking is missing. It really sucks to be married to Clark and have Clark's children, you know? And I feel Lois's yeah. pain. Uh, I think that is a good moment. The, the hammer moan, obviously awesome. I want to dig into the Sarah Forget her parents because she, she calls him out on this apocalypse. She says, all you've ever talked about is people are banning Smallville. The minute it gets hard, you turn and run. And then Lana tries to jump in and help Kyle. Classic. And she goes, is this about Jordan? And she's like, what? No, listen to what I'm saying. And and she, Sarah's like, don't yell at your dad. And she's like, you can't just blame your dad. She's like, I don't. I blame you too. You guys are friggin' stupid. <laughs> the best teenage thing to scream. You're being friggin' stupid. And then like all the classics come out. Like two days ago, I wanted pancakes and you made waffles. And <laughs> they're all just coming out. Uh, she, Lana actually said, uh, wait, is this about Jonathan? And Sarah's like, it's Jordan with the hair, hair Jordan. And then just screamed at her mom for messing that up. Get my boyfriend's name right. Uh, another one is the intro is Edge is becoming the Eradicator. And there's all these voices, but all the voices saying, did you hear he's the Eradicator? I think this guy's becoming the Eradicator. Oh my God, he's going to be the Eradicator. Not just hearing all the voices, but <laughs> hearing all the voices that talk about you. Somebody's ears are burning <laughs> like the sun. Uh, Superman and Lois are on Monday nights on the CW. Ryan, next up is Titans. In the first two episodes of Titans Season 3, Jason Todd goes after the Joker alone while explicitly being told not to. He gets crowbar to death, sending Dick to Gotham to reunite with Barbara, and the two yell at Bruce for being an uncaring piece of shit who constantly pulls kids into his war. Good point. This makes Bruce kill the Joker with his own crowbar, <laughs> with his bat bar, leaving Gotham and telling Dick to be a better Batman. Then the Red Hood shows up and starts red hooding all over the place, and Dick finds out it's Jason. Taste Buds, I ask you this. Shit. Taste Buds, I ask you this. Does revealing who's behind the Red Hood to the Titans so quickly undercut the storyline at all? Or is it the only way to go since it would never have been a mystery to begin with? I think that is an excellent question. Oh, so well written. And so well read. And the entire comic universe... The fans of this show know the Red Hood is Jason Todd. Yeah, I, I know. Think, that, that's my first thought, having not watched this, is what, how, what percentage of viewers actually know this connection? Right. For all of them. I, I don't think you are viewers? A, a, a Titans fan and not a fan of the comics. It's on HBO Max now, though, Mike. It's got a lot more okay. viewers this time than the DC Universe app. I will say I've, I watched too much of the first season, a bit of the second season. The first episode pulled me in. I was like, oh, fuck. Am I enjoying the Titans? God damn it. And it was all about no, there's no one side. It was all this family dynamic of Barbara versus Dick versus Bruce versus Dick versus like all three of them were like, 
Mexican standoffing family issues at each other throughout the whole episode, and I really enjoyed it. And just like really petty little digs while also dealing with overarching our littlest brother died. And everybody being like, well, he was a dumb piece of shit. It is his fault he died, right? And people being like, yeah, but you can't just say that. What the fuck's wrong with you, Barbara? Uh, it was, all of that worked for me. It, it really was that Dick figured out, and it's because he punches Red Hood in the face, breaks part of his helmet off, and he sees that it's Jason right away. If they did, like, try to all to have a mystery of who the Red Hood is while he, like, played with their head for the season. That would make way more sense. So it's dramatic irony. Of course the audience knows. But well, I mean, now I'm like, so now it's just like we have to yell. Why? And he died the day before he became the Red Hood. There's just no mystery or tension. Yeah, I mean, dramatic, the, dramatic irony only lasts so long. And you have to keep coming up with reasons why we're stoked to have that. And right. I don't know if this show does. I think that the percentage of people who know that Jason Todd is the Red Hood is a lot smaller than you you think. Mm-hmm. And also, that's not the end-all, be-all of a mystery. Like, There's more to a mystery than just the actual answer at the end. So they could have right. kept it going even if we knew. I think... Am I wrong? Like, Maybe the internet would have been so pissed that it was Jason Todd when we knew it was Jason Todd. I don't know. Why would you listen to the But they'd be pissed if they tried to change it at all. I do like that at a certain point, Jason Todd, he takes over their criminal underworld. of they, The criminals of Gotham are freaking out because Batman killed the Joker and everybody knows that. They're like, wait, we always thought we were just going to get thrown into jail. We'll be released from the next day. But Batman might crowbar us to death now. And Jason Todd rolls into their little meeting of the baddies with a duffel bag full of heads of their lieutenants. <laughs> that is... Eight? Is there eight heads? Uh, it might be eight heads. Okay. That's how many heads a duffel bag holds. Um do you think that because I do think that this is a big jump, right? Like this is going from like a normal bullshit podcast to then becoming on the Pop Filter Network. This yeah. was a show that nobody has ever watched or talked about, and now it's on HBO Max. Did they seem to make the leap financial budget wise, script wise, acting wise? Did it seem like this is now the Titans of mainstream? Stream. Streaming. Mainstreaming. No. <laughs> I think they're taking steps. I think I think the acting did get better. Focusing on Dick and now the other guys are clear sidekicks. The rest of the Titans, it's Dick's show. We're all just living in it. And so he's going through heavy family stuff. And every once in a while, we'll cut to the Titans and Superboy's just giving autographs. I liked that. Uh, well, some of the Titans are like struggling with that. And Barbara. I think the actress who played Barbara Gordon nailed it. And nailed. She is full Oracle here. She's Commissioner Gordon in a wheelchair. And her dad is dead. And the way the show is treating Batman sidekicks when they grow up being angry at Batman is awesome, and I've not seen it done enough. I know. It sounds like the perfect premise for a comic book, just not for a low-budget TV show. Yeah. And he keeps leaving. Like, I'm going to just get to my moment of the week, is uh, Dick kind of defends Bruce to Barbara, because he's like, because Barbara's like, my dad died, his partner through all of this, and... How he gets through things is pretending they never existed at all. We've never talked about my dad since his death. And Dick is trying to be like, well, blah, 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 until Dick is on Bruce's computer and finds a list of files of other kids. And so it's Easter eggs. We get uh, Stephanie Brown. We get Carrie Kelly. You never bring out Uh, files unless it's just Easter egg files. It's just all Easter eggs. But it's not. It's Dick realizing that Bruce hasn't stumbled into all these Robins, that he grooms like he's some sort of Horatio Sands talking to a high schooler at an SNL after party. He grooms children to come with him. And then Dick flips out. And he, uh, 
and it was all that it was awesome. And dick flips because he dick flips. Batman, it's crazy that he is so popular. He is is and some of the comics deal with this, but this guy sucks. Okay, he's a billionaire who's not actually trying to solve problems. He's trying to punch crime away and pulling children into a war where they will certainly get Jason Todd out. What we should, what I think I would rather have is a HBO Max, a, a, a season of In Treatment, which is an HBO show that they just brought back this year with Uzo Aduba as the therapist. It's just each episode is a therapy thing, but in this one, each episode is a Batman sidekick, and that's <laughs> we find out how deeply fucked up it is. Yes. to be a childhood superhero. All right, Titans is on HBO Max on Friday nights. I think that we're say. not. I don't know if we're doing it until episode. I think we're not doing it until episode six, Titans 306. Are you going to keep okay. watching until then? I might. You might? Streaming, man. If it's streaming, I'll probably watch it because I can watch it so early instead of waiting for the other shows to come out. Ryan, the final show of the evening is Stargirl. Superhero show show favorite Stargirl is back and kicks off with a bang. That bang, namely, is an incredibly long and extremely opening scene, which we'll get to in a minute. But after Extremely that, opening. it's mostly business as usual. Cute family fighting, super teen angst, summer school, divorce, and Green Lantern daughters. But Taste Mike, I ask you this. Did that opening scene remind you of what Stargirl is capable of? Yeah, it was terrifying. Terrifying. It was a legit horror movie. Uh, from like the sepia tone to little creep Bruce. So this whole podcast is just talking about what creeps Bruce's are now. I um, We're going to have to get into it, and most people don't watch Stargirl, so... Mike, can you give me a and it's it's hard to ask you to give me like a um rundown of what happened in the opening scene because the patience and slowness of the opening scene is part of what worked. Mm-hmm. But tell me what happened real quick. It's in the fifties. A little girl is in trouble on her porch. She wants to go to her neighbor's birthday party across the street. Her mom's like, No, you weren't good, so you can't. And then her mom goes inside after yelling at her, and then this blonde little moppet shows up and he's like, Are you going to the birthday party? And, and you're like, we're all used to this. Our everyone's childhood is filled with blonde little moppets that tell you what to do. Yeah. To, like tell you to do bad things. And he's just like, "We should go." Your mom? I don't see your mom. Do you see your mom? And then when you get across the street, there's a thing of presents, and he's like, "That's not fair that Janie has all those presents. Shouldn't one of those be yours?" Look, maybe go to the party when you're not supposed to, but don't. Now he's like, "Just open it," and he keeps like disappearing and reappearing. She opens it. It's a doll whose face is rotting away and eyes are bright red. And then she like blinks and it's a normal doll again. And then... And then dies. And then... He shows a purple like diamond to her and then she screams or dies and the mom doesn't find her. Right? He calls it's, it an unfinity gem, which I think that's pretty close. <laughs> it's made of onions. And then, <laughs> and then the mom runs over and finds her dead body. Uh, we're talking like, what do you think, six minutes? Yeah, it's long and slow. It feels like a scene from The Conjuring. That's it's an opening to a Conjuring movie, not to a Stargirl. And but like this is the kind of thing is that it do, it really does feel for those of you who have not watched Stargirl, who have like watched the Flash and Arrow, um, and have bailed. This feels like a bigger budget. It feels like better directors. It feels like it feels like more time is spent on each episode. Like yes. right away. Stargirl once again proves that it is the absolute cream of the crop of the CW crop. And playing with, it doesn't have to be like each one of the normal CW shows are like, we're this kind of thing because the comics have that. We're this kind. Stargirl's saying, I can do it all. I can put horror into my family fun drama. Let's get to the rest of the episode, Mike. Uh, it's a little season premiere because we have yeah. way too many characters to re reintroduce back into our lives. 
did that weigh it down, or were you like, oh, there's Yolanda, oh, there's whoever, Rick, Rick, Rick Tyler? Rick. Uh, they all get their little moments, and I think they were Yolanda and Beth, and maybe just because I like their characters better than Rick. Uh, we just see her crying and not talking in the confessional, and her kind of having panic attacks. That that reminds like she is going through a thing, and then Beth is still trying to. Her parents are still being pieces of shit. And now, not only are they neglecting her while she makes them gourmet meals, they are getting divorced. Probably because of Beth. I mean, if I had Beth in my life, I would be divorcing whoever was responsible for Beth because she's annoying. And Rick is staring at trees and giving fried chicken to giant footprints in the woods. I mean, th- Solomon Grundy. That's, right? that's some Grundy food, right? That's what we call he, grunch, which is not breakfast and it's not he, lunch. It's grunch. Did he go from, I want to kill this guy to. My new best friend is so. the only person angrier in this town than me. When you have no... I mean, that's why we hang out, right? Is I killed your parents, but you don't have any friends, <laughs> so now we hang out. I'm your Solomon Grundy. Um, what I am thinking here is that I have I have an arch enemy for the season, Mike. Mm-hmm. I think that the arch enemy of Legends Tomorrow might become Constantine. And I, I think I know who it's going to be for this season. Who? You don't want to guess? Joe McHale? No. Another incredible, like this was all seed planting, yeah. But incredible seed planting all the way through. Cindy Berman? Nope. Seed planting again. She does. She, does she seriously have Mike in her folder of Injustice yeah. League? She's like, let's all the students, <laughs> all the children of the Injustice League former, and little Mike. You know that kid who's basically Spuds McKenzie as a human? Let's get him on the team. Uh, it's who? it's one Courtney who I think at one point. Her team oh, says, uh, let's call it a night court. When they want to go home, they're like, let's call it a night court. And I'm like, why not call it a Roseanne? Why not call it a empty nest or a Golden Girls? Like, if that's what we're doing here. I think it's going to be Courtney because she, her eternal optimism, he, er, her eternal CW-ness is going to allow her to just miss all of the clear things that are wrong with what's going on. And I don't, I don't mean that she's like going to go bad and... No. Become an arch nemesis like that. I, but she is a selfish teenager. Right. And doesn't get that her best friends are going through some real shit. And she's just desperate and needs to patrol. But Beth and Yolanda are like averse to selfishness. And Cindy Berman uses selfishness as a weapon. But can you see a way where Courtney is the worst kind of selfish? Where she thinks she's being helpful and she's not. She's right. ruining everybody's life. I, I feel it going that way. And I mean, Luke Wilson like straight up says it. Like, you have other yeah. teams. Once again, Stargirl fans... Uh, Luke and Court together are is the absolute best of the show. Yeah, the JSA isn't the only team you're part of. There's also the family. And it's just like, how do you deliver that? And it's real, and I like it. And then he <laughs> just gives her two middle fingers and parkours off the wall. How do you feel about Pat's new sidekick? Love it. This is the, the tow truck man who's just like, sometimes a man needs to build himself a robot this is, when he goes sneaking in. This is how we do efficiency is we have a guy who is like clearly voted for Trump, clearly going to be a danger, goes in, finds Pat's ro- robot, and just like, yeah, I'm going to help you build that. I'm going to help you build that. I'm good. Well, you need a blowtorch in the hand. <laughs> yeah, he tells this scary story of once he built a blowtorch. I was like, oh, this guy should not be your friend. And the whole time Luke Wilson's like, uh, this isn't mine. Uh, okay, it's mine, uh, but don't look at it, but it's private, but it's... Okay, okay, build the blowtorch. Like, the whole transition he does in that one scene. <laughs> Ryan, do you have a moment of the week? My moment of the week is actually a hallway fight, which has received 
thousands of moments of the week throughout the course of Superhero mm-hmm. Show Show. It's where fights Look, happen. If you're fighting in the hallway, we're going to love it. But we're actually around the corner from the hallway fight. And I thought this was so well done. Um, somebody comes in who will eventually say, I'm Green Lantern's daughter, which, yeah. bro, we get all of you guys are villain or hero's children. Like, this was a little on the and- nose. But we're the the thing happens in the hallway, and we're around the corner from the hallway, so we only see their weapons and their bodies thrown into this yes. little square that we saw. And I thought it was it's a great way to save money, but it's also a great way. It it was like Jaws, you know, like save the money by not showing us, but also it was that much more intense by us just hearing oofs and umps, and yeah. then just watching them get thrown. Uh, my moment of the week is a very specific of that is Courtney tries to lightning ray. Jade, who hasn't revealed her name, Green Lantern's daughter, and then the momentum of the fight stops for a brief second, but doesn't like zoom in on her face. Her grimace uh-huh. of like, "Oh, mom's gonna be so mad." Uh-huh. Man, this kid can act. That's why you fucking have her. She was awesome. Like they're heroes, but they're teenagers. Yes, crushed it. Star Girl is on the CW. Let's call it Wednesday nights, and when it's over, it'll be all on HBO Max. Those are the shows, Ryan. We're not done yet. I talked to our friend jay from the story geeks a while back now mike uh you had said that this is the best interview wait hold on sorry getting a text oh this is from jay from the story geeks oh he's saying it's the worst interview we've ever done well that's because he's self-conscious and doesn't like to okay. have attention on it. so that i guess we'll see who's more right you or him we'll see who's more right when we come back Welcome to the crossover, Crisis on Infinite Pods, the segment where we introduce you to other podcasty, artisty types doing cool things in the wild world of nerddom. My guest today is Jay Shearer. Jay is a chief storyteller and co-founder of the Reclamation Society, which is a nonprofit production company for geeks. Uh, the author of Death of a Bounty Hunter, among other books, because you just showed me one right before. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was going to say co-host of the Story Geeks, but you just told me you moved on and you're doing that. So what is your current podcast here? So so what we did was we actually just literally like a week ago took both podcasts that we were doing. I do an impactful writing podcast with a screenwriter friend of mine who's in Hollywood. And then we do the Story Geeks podcast. And I put them all into one YouTube channel and one podcast. So technically, I am doing the Story Geeks podcast. It's just that I'm doing a, a Story Geeks podcast kind of more for writers and producers and directors because we talk about the the art of storytelling. And then oh, my cool. team kind of just geeks out more on just like the geek stories that come out, kind of like what you guys do. Like, yeah. hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this stuff. So um, we're all over the place. So the, the, your widespread team is kind of hitting it from all the creating and the consuming. Exactly uh, right. Yep. Yep. And so my, my first question for you, and we'll get into how you juggle a thousand things, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I think very importantly is uh, geek versus nerd. Uh, what does each mean to you? Because it feels almost uh, geographical maybe. It probably is geographical. So the way that I've always thought about it is that a nerd is somebody who has a skill that they could almost like charge people money for, right? Like, mm, oh, I'm going to fix okay. your computer. Now, yeah, yeah. it gets really weird because Best Buy ruined it and had the Geek Squad. Um, right. But I've always felt like the geeks were like people who were just just super into something, right? So I would say mm. like we call ourselves the story geeks because we're, one, super into storytelling, but also into geek storytelling, which is generally sure. speaking science fiction, fantasy, comic books, you know, like that wide net. Um, so that's kind of how I delineate it, but I mean, 
they're kind of synonyms at this point. So either yeah, way, it's definitely the, uh, the, the globalization, right? It's become, <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I think mo- moving from the East coast to the West coast as a little kid, I think I had it flipped. Uh, to me, geek was, I'm going to build a computer. And I was a nerd. I was like, just let me read my dragon book in the back of the class. And please don't throw things at me. Yeah, exactly. There should be like an East coast, West coast beef, but between nerds and geeks, I, I think yes. that we should start that maybe. <laughs> But we can all agree that nobody wants to be a dork. Yes, correct. Uh, correct. There's nothing good about being a dork. <laughs> or a dweeb. You don't want to be a dweeb either, man. So to drill down, because you have so many projects, and I kind of want to you know, get on. People should know about all of them. So uh, I think I'm going to do it in the right de-escalation, like <laughs> shrinking the umbrella here. So tell me about the Reclamation Society in 50 words or less. Ooh, 50 words or less. We are a nonprofit production company, and we try to produce – uh, thought-provoking science fiction fantasy comic book-like stories. Man, you did that so well. <laughs> I just decided at the last minute I was going to give you word restrictions. But, uh, and so you, you do, like, I know you did the Star Wars fan film. We did, yeah, Star Wars Rivals. Um, mm-hmm. And so is that kind of your, the biggest thing the Reclamation Society has done that people would know or be able to find out or? yeah there's so there's okay so the star wars rivals which is easy to watch because it's on our youtube channel so if you look if you look up the art of storytelling the story geeks uh you will find that fan film star wars rivals that's probably the thing that most people have engaged in um mm. we did have we have a we had a novel called time slingers which is really kind of more an adventure novel it's actually not that thought-provoking but we wanted to test like we wanted to test the process of how do we learn to sell books? Because it's a whole process you need to learn to when you're yeah. gonna when you're gonna produce them yourself, you gotta learn that part of it. So we actually use Time Slingers as a means by which to learn how to sell so that when we came out with Death of a Bounty Hunter, which is kind of more of our organization's premier intellectual property, because we because okay. like, you know, Star Wars Rivals is we're just doing a, a Lucasfilm owned thing. We don't make sure. any money off of it. Um, but Death of a Bounty Hunter is our supernatural steampunk western, and that was fun because after we had done Rivals, we said we love doing this process where we bring in our friends who are actors and like produce things with them starring in it because um, they're professionals, man. They're, they're awesome. Yeah. And so what we did was we said we should do a full cast audiobook. So we actually have 14 characters that are voiced by 11 different voice performers. Wow. Um, so if you want to listen to the, the, the audiobook version of it, that's actually an option for you. And they do a killer job. I mean, they were amazing. So I, I really like the way that that turned out, too. That's dope. So you made Time Slingers knowing, like, this is the test run. Yeah, because we see how how to learn the steps of produ- production. Exactly, because we had what we had basically done was we had released Time Slingers. My co-writer and I, Nathan Sheck, we he's also the co-founder of the Reclamation Society. We had released Time Slingers back in like 2012, mm-hmm. um, and we so we said like kind of like it doesn't really fit exactly perfectly into the kind of stuff that we want to release now because it's more of like a pulp adventure story, and so we said but. What we can do is we can learn how to do this a little bit better by testing the waters with Time Slingers. And so we did yeah. that, and then we said, okay, now let's transition over to this major IP that we want to come out and want to do more with um, so that we kind of had some mechanisms for testing those things. So that's why – so the, the, the multimedia approach was kind of always baked in. So yeah. Death of a Bounty Hunter, you, you have the, the novel and then the audiobook version. Are there, are there other things – cooking for that are you gonna just 
Well, it's interesting. It's interesting, right? Because before before we started the uh, this recording, I, you and I were talking about how um, I, I'm probably going to move out of Southern California, right? And Southern California is a major hub for filmmaking. Now, I don't know if that's going to last because the film industry has been hit pretty hard with COVID. Right. But um, one of the things that we've kind of landed on is that we want to do more with like the we, we call them by the way we call them audiobooks even though we have multiple characters because it's not like your traditional audio drama where you'll have mm-hmm. like we just walked through a door and then like you hear a door no- door noise right. you know yeah exactly yeah. and we were kind of like well we don't we don't want to like tell the story through sound and exposition we'd rather tell the story through the internal monologues of the characters and then the characters interacting with each other so we call it an audio book but you could call it an audio drama if you wanted to it's just kind of more of an audio book format so we kind of are focusing in a little bit more on that since my co-founder he lives in oregon and i'm going to be moving probably out of southern california and so we probably won't do as much in the film department Mm -hmm. but it has always been uh, a dream of ours to do more films. Obviously, we did, obviously we did uh, Star Wars Rivals, so yeah. you never know where, where it'll end up. But that's where we're thinking about now. Death of a Bounty Hunter in twenty words or less. Oh, twenty words. Okay. Now uh, let's see. I'm going to count them off. I'm going to count them off. <laughs> a Korean bounty hunter faces the widow of a man he killed. There you go. Twelve. 12 words. Nice. <laughs> Spit at my 20 and gave yeah, me 12. I mean, that's right, yeah. That's dope. Yeah. And then, because uh, I know you, you play with like a lot of other people making all your things. Yes. So, uh, Story Geeks is, is it the name of your YouTube channel or your podcast, both? Now it's, it's both. It's, it was, it's so both. we had two YouTube channels. They had different names. One of them was the Story Geeks. And then we had one podcast channel that was called the Story Geeks. And it was just getting way too confusing. So now it's, now it's the art of storytelling the story geeks mm. and then the podcast channel is just the story geeks. So it makes gotcha. it, it makes it a lot easier to find us. <laughs> All right. Cause now that these are separate entities, let's focus in on the podcast first. Yeah. Story geeks, 10 words or less. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, story geeks, meaningful conversations. I just did a syllable. Meaningful conversations <laughs> about science fiction, fantasy and comic books. There you go. Nine words. Love it. You keep, you keep spitting at the word. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, how did, how did that start? So that started, um, I was having a lot of conversations with people that were usually fun conversations, but at the end of the day, a lot of times they were like not that meaningful of conversations mm-hmm. either. And when I say that, I just mean like we might like be talking about whether or not we liked uh, we like the nipples on Batman's costume from from <laughs> Batman and Robin or something like that, and and it would be a fun it would be a fun conversation. But one of the things that I wasn't getting a lot out of is is as a storyteller, mm-hmm. especially because like I had written Time Slingers, right? So I wrote Time Slingers, and it's not that deep. And then after I wrote Time Slingers, I went through this period in my life where I'm like but how does the world work, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> how, how are we supposed yeah. to behave and how are we supposed to think and what, what influences us? And, um, and so then I kind of, in my writing career, I shifted focus to, I want to like even test my own belief systems and just see, like throw stuff up and see what sticks and why does it stick yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So in my writing career, I started doing that. And so then as I started having conversations with my friends who were all geeks as well, it was like, 
actually, I kind of want to see what these storytellers are saying, right? Like, I want to yeah. see, like, what did what did Marcus and McFeely when they wrote uh, the whole Captain America trilogy and and then went on to write the the Avengers films, the Endgame and, and Infinity War? Like, what were they trying to say? Is is, right. is real about the world and not real about the world? And so that kind of was the impetus for the Story Geeks podcast. It was like we're gonna have fun and we're gonna have a really good time, but we're also gonna say like, let's talk about why we would assume that Thanos is a villain or not a villain, right? Right. And let's – we even had a show on the Story Geeks. You can go look this up. But we actually did a show where uh, in the in the Bible, there's this like, concept of like um, – in fact, they said it in the Fast and Furious movies where they go like, oh, that that's like um, – that's really Old Testament, meaning it's like harsh and like overtly like uh, – like, like you could all, you almost – think that god is portrayed as like a vengeful entity right? right and then it's like oh no well the new testament like it's like jesus and he's like really nice and, and friendly so we were like what if you compared thanos to people's idea of what god is in the old testament like do, can you right. can you actually draw a comparison between those two things um and that's like and a lot of people are listening to this going like what <laughs> why would you do that <laughs> Uh, but it was, I mean, we have fun doing those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Like just going as deep as you possibly can into a movie and asking ridiculous questions. Um, and a lot of times our guests, what they say to us after they've been on the show is, I've watched, this This is one of my favorite quotes from a guest of ours. I've watched this movie like over 25 times and I have never thought to ask that question. <laughs> and we're like, yes, that's perfect. Nice. You're doing it right. Yeah. Then, yeah, how, how prepared are your guests walking in? Do they know just like the movie or are they given hints at the topic? Or? Yeah, it's a good question. Especially, it's especially a good question because you were on our show in like an impromptu way. Like yeah. you and, and which, which co-host was it? Remind me which Ryan. Ryan, you and Ryan come up to our booth and we're like, Hey, we're interviewing people. And you're like, Oh yeah, we do a podcast. We're like, awesome. Jump in, you know, like, and we did yeah. it. We did a really fun little segment. Um, and you guys are actually really funny. So that was, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. You guys have good senses of humor. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, cause our, our, our podcast can at times get <laughs> really heavy as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, we go out of our way to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so to answer your question, normally what we will do is, uh, and we're changing the way that we do the show a little bit. It's going to be a little bit more freeform. But a lot of times, if I can, I'm preparing the show, I will actually go watch the film with the subtitles on, pause it as I go along, and be like, why did he say that? And then like literally yeah. write out the question. Then we send that to the guests in advance. I won't send my answers, yeah. but I'll just send it to the guests in advance and be like, here are the questions. So if, as you watch the movie, here are some things to think about. And I will tell you this. There's a lot of people who do a lot of podcasts that we love that are not necessarily like – they're not known for their they're not known publicly on their shows mm-hmm. as being super insightful or something like that, right? Sure. But they have some of the best takes when it comes to being asked a really deep question. So, um I'm always really impressed with the guests. They're always awesome. Yeah, I've I've come to believe through like talking to a variety of way people on on podcasts and I guess in real life if that's a thing. Uh <laughs> that it does feel like we're, there's not a lot of room in modern life often. Like, people will roll their eyes if you start trying to get deep. Yep. But I think that's in everybody. Uh, like, everybody has some thoughts on life and death and why we are the way we are, right? So, just, just yeah. like the minute you posit it, uh, maybe there'll be a little like hemming and hawing and <laughs> humming a, humming a, humming a. But then I think eventually 
everybody it will have something to surprise you. Yeah, um, and we're also usually it's also um I I as a writer believe that when you go to tell a story, stories and, and this is this is actually scientifically proven by neuroscience, the human brain is wired for storytelling. I can give you a bunch of facts and figures, right? But in, if I tell you a story, I can actually change your behavior. But if I give you a bunch of facts, like, oh, obviously, look at COVID, right? Like, I can be like a yeah. bunch of people are getting COVID, and everyone's like, no problem. I'm still going to party, right? So, um, so storytelling is this interesting thing where I believe it's a perfect place to structure your discussion, your deep discussions around. Because if I just walked up to you on the street and were like, what do you think? Do you think humans are inherently good or humans are inherently bad? You'd yeah. be like, I don't know if I want to talk to you about this, bro. <laughs> um, but if I say that in the context of saying like, let's talk about the way that they tested this, the way that they tested this idea in Blade Runner, then, yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, okay, cool. I want to talk about Blade Runner. And, and I find Blade Runner really meaningful from several, several mm-hmm. different standpoints. And so now we're having a really meaningful conversation about art and about the way the world works as opposed to just yeah. being like this random, you know, idea. So we, we, we're now – we're wrapping up to the, the speed round. Jay. Yes, speed round. Let's dive in. So answer these uh, as, as quickly as possible. First okay. thought, best thought. Okay. First nerd thing you bought with your own money. Uh, Indiana Jones poster. Nice. Yes. First fictional crush. Uh, Rogue from the X-Men TV series. Hell yeah. Let's we'll slow down the speed round. We're going through X-Taz right now, and I understand why. They draw her a little much. Uh, current fictional crush. Well, this is going to be very controversial, um, and I'm not saying this because I agree with everything she says, but I would have to say... Uh, <laughs> I already feel like I'm going to guess Yeah, take, go, go ahead. Guess, guess what it is. Uh, what's she's like the 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 storm not the stormtrooper yep. but uh from the Mandalorian Cara Dune Cara Dune yeah 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 That's so funny yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the minute you're like I don't agree with what she says <laughs> right exactly I think she as a character as a the character, character and the, the actress are very different yes there you go <laughs> yes. okay. uh which fictional character do you think you could make into a cake oh um you know what I would go with uh, Spider Man. <laughs> all right torso just a bust or full body no i would go i would go just just his face just his face just i his feel face. like i could get through that i'm not a good baker at all um and yeah, i would just same. go with that <laughs> what flavor cake uh i would have to go chocolate with vanilla frosting classic love yeah. it if you could change any tv show by making the lead character a baby but the plot <laughs> still stays the same what character would you change <laughs> oh man um you know what i think <laughs> to Something else we talked about before we started recording was how much you guys don't like The Walking Dead, and I n- <laughs> neither do I. So I would make Rick Grimes a baby and just see how that goes. <laughs> <Just instantly dies. laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> last thing you rewatched and your opinion lowered. Oh. You seem like a pretty positive guy. So this yeah. Like um, I don't know. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I'm in my rewatch of, of Justice League, and it's just disappointing me even more than I was already disappointed. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> and that's in prep for your Snyder <laughs> exactly, Cut Exactly, exactly. Nice. Yeah. All right. Last truly great thing you watched. Well, what, what episode would it, was uh, the greatest one? Probably episode six, five or six of WandaVision. I thought it was truly great. Yeah. yeah. 
I fucking love yeah. that show. And um, by the way, I hated it at first. I hate, I did hate it. Really? The first episode, I'm like, what is this? A sitcom? I don't want to watch this. And then I'm like, yeah. then they got me, man. So good. I growing up on I Love Losing Dick Van Dyke, I I fucking <laughs> hook line and sinker love the first awesome. couple That's episodes. Because awesome. uh, I'm 80. <laughs> uh, favorite visual artist. Favorite visual artist. Uh, a buddy of mine did the. You you can see it on the on the. It's dope. The poster yeah, the for poster Death of a Bounty Hunter. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you go if you go look up on Amazon, if you look up Death of a Bounty Hunter, you'll see my friend Malachi Ward, comic book artist Malachi Ward, and he drew that illustration for us. Good and name. throw out shout out to him because he's uh, he's awesome. Nice. I'm gonna only ask you two more things, and then I'm gonna let okay. you go because I told you ten to fifteen minutes, and it was forty five minutes ago. <laughs> we started recording. Uh, do you, uh, I, I would love to have a question for the next guest. You're mm. my first guest of doing these, so I don't have one for you from the previous guest. Yeah. But anything. We don't know who they are. Just a random question you think anybody should answer. Random question anybody should answer. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, and this is going to be – if it's off brand for you, then I apologize in advance. No. But fine. I will say what about our experience in the pandemic has changed you and how has it changed you? I like it. I like that a lot. You're like, yeah, it's good, but I'm going to scratch it for next time. No, I'm not going to scratch it. I'm going to probably lay awake tonight thinking about that. Uh, And then finally, uh, where where can people find your shit? Yeah, so um, you can go check out Death of a Bounty Hunter at deathofabountyhunter.com, and I'll take you straight to the website. And then if you type in uh, thestorygeeks.com, that will take you actually to our Patreon page, but we're starting to – by the time this comes out, we'll have plenty of content on there, but we're, we're releasing most of our shows so that you don't have to go look around for them on all these different social networks and stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll have all the links to them on our Patreon page publicly nice. available to folks. Awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much for doing oh, this. Oh, dude. Is- Thanks for reaching out to me. I'll, I'll, I'm yeah. excited to do it. Every eight months when we talk, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you did this. And uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have a sign-off for this segment yet, so back to the regular show. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Ryan was so flabbergasted by how well I did, he had to leave the room. So that's the show. If you like the Superhero Show show uh, with just me and Ryan, you should probably go listen to the 100 episodes of the OCD where it's just me and Ryan. Uh, Don't worry, though. Cassie will be back. Uh, There's also the Unnatural 20s which is Cassie hangs out with some other friends and they talk about how weird it is to be in your twenties. Uh, there's also movie of the year. Ron and I and pal Greg go through each year is a different season. Each season is a different year and we find the best movie of that given year. Uh, you can rate this podcast.com slash superhero to rate it wherever you listen. It does help us out. Uh, follow us on Twitter at your pop filter and on Instagram email us contact at yourpopfilter.com next week we're doing superman and lois say goodbye the walking dead says hello plus the shushy for best ensemble enough said